Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 335 of the Fun with Cars Motorsport podcast, or episode 22 of 2022. I'm Robin Warner. With me, as always, is Christopher Roche, and yes, 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 it has been a minute. <laughs> it's been a long minute since our last episode, and uh, I will definitely talk about that in a few minutes, but... It's been so long, Chris, and I just kind of want to jump into all this crazy Formula One news. Chris, where should we start? Well, we did enjoy our extended summer break, didn't we, Robin? But we're back. So uh, let's talk about the race calendar for next year. Uh, so let's do just so. 24 races? 24 races. Back in the day, it used to be 16, you know, every season. And now we're 50% more races than that. It's extraordinary. But there's some, uh, there's some interesting changes. First of all, France is gone. I don't think anyone's going to uh, shed a tear over that one. Poor Ricard uh, Cheerio. Well, you know, I've, I've been very lucky enough to go to Paul Ricard. And as a setting, oh, man, I'm, I would imagine that a couple of the drivers are a little unhappy. Because that, that is quite, you're, you're basically on the Riviera. But as a race, yeah, we, we can do better. Yeah. On better better note we still have monaco and we still have spa for next season so that's very positive i think the um, fact that that was even a question though is frustrating i have to say but the right decision was reached at least temporarily we'll have to see what uh, 24 and 25 hold but right now both are still uh, on the calendar for next year which is well, which is definitely the right move monaco they said is on through 25 i think that one was a multi-year deal i don't know about spa much but yeah, one of them got a one-year deal, so I think there's still more negotiating to happen. But, uh, uh, I mean, it, crikey, the, most of the modifications made to Spa for this season's race uh, were very positive. I mean, I love the new grandstand overlooking uh, Urouge. I mean, what a wonderful vantage point that is. So it would be uh, horrific for that to, to leave us. Um, and we have, for next season, China back, at least provisionally, and Qatar is also uh rejoining the calendar what do you think of las vegas being the penultimate round yeah well i thought it's pretty interesting we sort of have a series of four americas races so we've got texas in october the 22nd then we've got brazil mexico and then and then vegas uh yeah i mean that could if it's a tighter championship battle next season than this i mean it could put the cat amongst the pigeons couldn't it with a brand new track that uh uh, that no one's seen before, um, and it could it could mix things up nicely. And if I'm doing the math correctly, and I like to think I am, mm. they claim that Las Vegas is November 18th, and Abu Dhabi is the 26th. That's eight days, not seven. And if I go to my calendar, does that mean it's a Saturday race in Las Vegas? Uh, yeah, that, that's what they were talking yes, about, it wasn't does. it? Saturday night, Saturday night yeah. race. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. So presumably we'll have everything moved up a day then. So we'll have uh, free practice on Thursday, like Monaco uh, used to be, and then probably on, on Friday. So that'll be Or they'll just stuff it into a weird crummy package of Friday and Saturday-ness so that uh, all the drivers can go get their Eiffel Tower-shaped daiquiris that are 120 ounces uh, on Sunday and just uh, gamble for 18 hours straight. You know, I was in Vegas uh, a little earlier this year and I did do a couple of hot laps in my rented Toyota Venza. I didn't set a great time, to be honest, because A, the track 
layout was a little bit confused, hadn't been finished, and there were a lot of traffic lights. But I'm assuming that it'll take less than 45 minutes to do a lap. Well, and it's such a shame because the Venza is the most Formula One representative <laughs> car that Toyota builds, clearly. So, uh, and you were hybrid, so your uh, your efficiency had to be right up there. It was over above 40%, I'm sure. Um, yeah, no tire changes. Let's see. Yeah, just all kinds of wins. So, you know, so far, Christopher Roche has FTD. Um, let's see how long that holds. I'm I'm still I'm still very nervous about this race. You know, what they did with Miami, it was almost like a caricature of what a cool race would be, but the track itself held its own. It wasn't it wasn't as bad as it could have been, certainly. But I'm really nervous about what they're going to be able to do at Vegas. So, on the positive side, three opportunities to see F1 in the US alone, even if you exclude the uh, you know, the, yeah, obviously hopping the border to Mexico or Canada, um, you know, it's a pretty good, that's a pretty good state of affairs when it, at one point it looked like we might have zero races in the United States at one, you know, one stage after the fiasco of, of uh, Indianapolis, uh, you know, 15 or so years ago. And, um, you know, some of the doubts around Cota. It's great that we're now in this situation where we've got three Grand Prix in this country. And that Cota, a proper track, is still among them, for sure. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's... The track of choice for F1 aficionados, of course, but the other two could be fun. The other part of Formula One is going, boy, oh boy, this is one of the silliest, silly seasons I've seen in a long time. If you think otherwise, please say so, but it seems like Sebastian Vettel was the catalyst for this. He announced his retirement. Days later, we learned that Alonso is off to Aston Martin, and then that just opened up a whole slurry of activity. Uh, where where do you even want to start? Oh, it all has to start at Alpine, uh, otherwise known as Renault. I mean, you know, we are, I know we're both fans of Otmar Safnauer and all the wonderful things he did um, at Team Silverstone um, back in the day, keeping the team afloat and uh, getting a race win um, as uh, in, in its various guises. But it's not going that great at Alpine, is it? And for a team that is a manufacturer, uh, to have lost not one but two drivers this year, including one of their own development drivers, is an embarrassment of riches, honestly. It's just unbelievable. And yet they're fighting for third in the Constructors' Championship. They've had a lot of really strong runs. And Alonso specifically is going off to a team that is in the weeds right now. I, I have to say I'm a bit perplexed by this. Yeah, not, I don't think you're the only one. Um, yeah, I mean, clearly there seems to be something terribly wrong at Alpine where no driver is tempted um, to go there of, of any note. I mean, Alpine are running a test this week in the Hungaro ring with a 21-spec car, and there is no shortage of names uh, in the hat for that seat. Uh, some of them might surprise you. Um, for example, who knew that Antonio Giovinazzi was still considered an F1 contender? Uh, not me. Um, we've got the son of a, of a, a very distinguished motorbike racer uh, in the name of uh, Jack Doohan. Um, so there's some interesting names, but, um, but they're, they're resolutely refusing to consider Daniel Ricciardo, which is making everyone slightly surprised. Um, yeah, and, including myself. Right. Um, so obviously, you know, Piastri had signed a contract with McLaren. 
Uh, Alpine thought that they had a contract with him. He said, no, the Contract Recognition Board agreed with Piastri. So he's off to McLaren to join uh, Lando Norris. And so Daniel Ricciardo is out of McLaren at the end of the season. And we don't know uh, if he'll find another seat in F1 for next year or will be moving on. We've got four, maybe four or five seats available. As Williams have a seat next to Albon. Has, uh, has a seat next to Magnussen. Alfa Romeo has a seat for, uh, available alongside Valtteri Bottas. And Alfa Tauri actually has almost two seats because they haven't uh, committed to Sonoda. So his seat's maybe up for grabs. And uh, there's a lot of discussion around Pierre Gasly. So Gasly is apparently one of Alpine's preferred drivers um, to, to run alongside um, their other French driver, uh, Ocon. But, of course, he is part of the Gasly is part of the Red Bull community and, and Red Bull will only release him if they find a suitable replacement. And so they're talking about either Colton Herter or um, they're also now talking to Nick DeVries. So um, so there's a lot there's a lot of musical chairs still moving around at this point. Obviously, there's a lot to discuss there, but a big one for me is that it seems like right now Daniel Ricciardo's best option might be reserve driver for Mercedes. Eight-time hey. Grand Prix winner, reserve driver for Mercedes. I mean, does that <laughs> – I'm really having a hard time with this. It's extraordinary. I mean, you know, 32 podiums, been in the sport since 2011, basically uh, – pushed Sebastian Vettel, the four-time world champion, out of his own team when they were both at Red Bull together. He really has had a tough couple of seasons at McLaren, um, and his star has fallen a lot. But you do have to wonder that uh, whether or not he could recapture some of the magic in a different environment with a different car. And it is very surprising that he isn't being talked about for any of these available seats, and particularly the Alpine seat. Because, you know, it wasn't that long ago that he was scoring podiums for... Alpine when it was known as Renault. So they did have a pretty good working relationship. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, one of the things that mystifies me, not so much about Piastri, but about Alpine, is that they, they say that they want to have a team leader. So they, they think that Pierre Gasly is that man. Well, I don't really think that's the case. None of the other names uh, on the list look like a team leader uh, type of driver. They could all be potentially good drivers. Um, but they're not team leader drivers. The only the only name out there that is a team leader is <laughs> potentially Daniel Ricciardo. So the plot thickens. Um, as far as Piastri goes, uh, you know he's very highly rated. Um, obviously, a, a F2 champion. It's still going to be a tough ask to go into McLaren and farewell against Lando Norris. So he's got his work cut out for him. But uh, but obviously that'll be an exciting thing to monitor next year. Uh, those two going head to head. The other thing to mention really is just how many drivers, in addition to Ricardo, are looking for seats. I mean, we've got Nick Latifi, we've got Sonodo, I mentioned earlier, Schumacher doesn't have a seat, Joe Guanyu doesn't have a seat. Joe doesn't have one either, huh? No, no, Joe isn't isn't confirmed. Uh, I mean, it seems that it might be quite likely he stays at Alfa Romeo, but, but that's certainly not a done deal. Um, there's uh, Schwartzman, who's a Ferrari development driver, looking for a seat. There's a guy called Logan Sargent, who's an F2 driver, uh, is being tipped for maybe a Williams seat. So there's a lot of guys out there in the mix at the moment. Uh, and then, of course, we've got we've got uh, and, and Logan is is a, an American driver, so that would be a positive. Um, but the the American everyone's talking about is of course Colton Herter, who um, you know everyone would love to see him in Formula One, but he doesn't have any super license points, so that's a whole new issue. Well, okay, so he has 
32 super license points. Which are not enough. You need 40. <laughs> you need 40 points, right? Yep. And he he doesn't have those. But no one was talking about him, and then all of a sudden there were rumors about him. And the next thing we know, Alfred Towery is talking about him pretty seriously. I, that I don't know why there was so much of that was held in the dark. It was like kept in the shadows for a long time. When obviously he had the talent, and then Franz Toss is saying he would happily give uh, Colton FP1 time, free practice one time, if the FIA was willing to work with them. There does seem to be a lot of motivation about getting more United States involvement. Again, I, I keep saying this, but it is an American company that owns Formula One management these days. So it seems like there's a lot of encouragement for the FIA, but... I don't know. I mean, how likely is it that they would sway and uh, tweak the rules a bit? So what I'm hearing is that they're not going to tweak the rules a little bit and that even if he ran every FP1 session available to him for the remainder of the season, he still wouldn't accrue enough super license points. So he would have to go off to some F4 winter series um, to actually get over the line. Uh, to be eligible to run in F1 next year, which is, that is kind, of abs- kind of oh. absurd. Because yeah. you'd, expe- you'd expect one of two things to happen. If he goes to some regional F4 championship, he should wipe the floor with everybody, right? Um, so if he does, well, what have we really gained by him doing that? We already knew he was a good driver because he's a IndyCar race winner. Um, so all you've done is humiliated a bunch of up-and-coming F4 drivers. Uh, and if he doesn't thrash them, then, well, now, now he puts the whole of the world of IndyCar out of kilter because one of their shining lights can't beat a bunch of regional F4 drivers. Either way, it's not a great result, is it? So why right. we can't And there's just a, re- there's a million factors that could affect it one way or the other that could be pointed to. So that would unfairly sway it one way or the other. That doesn't do anybody any good either. (laughs) The fact of the matter is we have several very recent Formula One drivers in IndyCar right now, and they're all bumming around the midfield. You know, there's some that are running towards the front and they're having front sits, but it's not like it's not at all clear based on the results of an IndyCar race who has Formula One experience and who doesn't. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. IndyCar is obviously a very highly regarded international series. It's North American series, but international drivers. And the fact that FIA are thumbing their noses at them as much as they are is laughable. And the FIA just had to acquiesce and finally work with IMSA because IMSA was doing a, such a, a much better job with endurance racing than the FIA was. Are we going to have to go through this again with IndyCar? Yeah, I mean, it's a joke, isn't it? I mean, if you look at the world's leading single-seater series, obviously Formula One is number one, and without a shadow of doubt, IndyCar is number two. And the fact that it's just not run by the FIA means it's the, the whole super license system is, is an absolute joke. Anyone who's running, you know, I, I wouldn't say every IndyCar driver, but we all know who the right IndyCar drivers are, um, should should be eligible for, for some sort of super license point um, uh, or, or benefit from, from their experience, the number of seasons, the number of wins, however you want to configure it, there should be a way of converting IndyCar performance into super license points. If an F2 champion has super license points to go to Formula One, an IndyCar race winner should as well. 
It's it's as simple as that. Uh, absolutely. I mean, definitely, I put IndyCar ahead of F2 in the in the uh, global single seater pecking order. But that's not the way the super license works right now. So yeah, it's a it's a bit of a joke. Um, I, I do like the fact that Red Bull uh, is is really seemingly committed to bringing in uh, a driver like Colton. And, yes, um, and, and I credit really to them for that, sure. Yeah, and I really hope they find a way to get it over the line because uh, that would be an exciting addition uh, to to Formula One next year. I mean, when we look at the drivers, I, I mean, I do find Schumacher's situation and Sonoda's situation quite weird, really, because, you know, Sonoda's a Japanese driver. He's, he's done reasonably well in his season and a half so far. He's shown some pace. Uh, he looks like a driver that probably belongs in Formula One. Um, you know, Schumacher, I think, is probably underperformed if you compare him to his uh, father. But relative to everyone else, I don't think he's been, you know, a, a disaster. You know, maybe it could have gone better, but I certainly think he probably deserves a bit more time in Formula One. And it's very strange that he looks like he's being pushed out of Haas. Um, uh, I mean, he, he was he, he's one and one with teammates. He had one teammate that he was quicker than. <laughs> and one teammate that he wasn't quite as good against that. So, I mean, that's a good record. But no, in all seriousness, no, I, Mick should be in Formula One. I mean, obviously. He's not breaking out like his father did, but he's proven, I think, he's got pace to be in Formula One. I, Haas is a is a weird one. Yeah, agreed. I guess there's going to be a... He, you know, he Mick is a, a Ferrari development driver, and obviously there's no discussion about him replacing one of the two Ferrari drivers, but... Certainly, Ferrari can pull some strings and, and put some some weight behind uh, that second seat uh, being open for him. It has so there's some discussions that are happening shortly. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but there's still hope for Mick. But I think the one driver that there is very little hope for is Nicholas Latifi. This is a guy who you know we've questioned his pedigree at various points on this podcast, but. You know, with with uh, Alex Albon unable to to race at Monza because of his uh, appendicitis, um, we had Nick De Vries, a Formula E champion, um, in his stead, and he did a phenomenal job um, and absolutely blew Nick questionably good. Uh, it was Nick out of the water. He blew him out of the water. He didn't even get Friday practice in the Williams. <laughs> He did Friday practice in a different car. <laughs> he was in the Aston Martin on Friday, gets in the Williams on Saturday, and does as good as Albon could have done. I would, I would, I mean, he he scored points on his debut in a Williams. I, yeah, and and he was, yeah, and he was a delight to hear interview the entire weekend. Yeah, it was something. Yeah, he's put himself really in in a good position to to get a seat next year, whether that's with Williams or Alpine or one of the others. Uh, I think there's a lot of teams that really took notice of that performance. Um, you know, he, he is a Mercedes-Benz reserve driver um, and, uh, you know, obviously works with, with quite a few of the Mercedes-powered teams. But, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, top effort. You know, that's the, that's the point about Formula One. If you get a chance, you got to take it because you can't expect to get multiple opportunities. So, uh, yeah, full congratulations to him. We might have two Dutch drivers on the grid from next season. I would love to distribute the orange a little bit. Any Anything else in the driver lineup mix you want to cover before we jump to other topics? No, I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, I'm fascinated to see how the Alpine test goes and whether or not they will, you know, really, really start to 
man up and realise that they should be considering Daniel Ricciardo. I don't know about you, but I, I think that would be a big loss if, if Daniel leaves us uh, at the end of this year and doesn't get a seat. Um, he is such a, such a great personality. Um, and, you know, some of his overtaking opportunities have been some of the best in the last, I'd say, 10 years. So um, that, I'm, I'm not ready for him to, to, to move on. Sebastian Vettel, I'm, I'm at peace with, but not Daniel as well. I agree completely. I do want to quickly uh, congratulate Will Power for his uh, second time winning the IndyCar Championship. Speaking of IndyCar a little bit, um, there were, again, I think it was five drivers in the hunt for the championship at the final round at Laguna Seca. And uh, Will Power finished on the podium and won the championship as a result. The winner of the race was Alex Palau. That was his first win of the season, but... (laughs) Part of the Formula One controversy dipped into IndyCar. It wasn't just the Colton Herta thing, but it was also Alex Palau claiming that he had a McLaren contract. And this was dipping into not necessarily Aero SP McLaren at IndyCar, but McLaren McLaren. And there was this whole back and forth. Palau was with one of the two established big teams, Chip Ganassi Racing, and he, he, he ruffled a lot of feathers there. So thank goodness for his own sake that he got a win to help help his chances to stay racing next year. But he that was part of controversy at uh, IndyCar that was kind of like washing over between IndyCar and Formula One because McLaren was throwing – McLaren's got Alexander Rossi moving to their team for next year. Um, but McLaren obviously also has ties between its IndyCar and Formula One team. And there was confusion about who McLaren wanted to put where – between IndyCar and Formula One. And so, and then obviously, of course, the Colton Herta stuff. So there was a lot of intermixing between Formula One and IndyCar. Uh, and I, I just found it all fascinating. Well, and it's interesting that Ganassi, uh, and this isn't really too surprising, isn't taking that lying down, are they? And uh, I think they believe they have a contract uh, with Alex for next season. Um, and so that's going to the IndyCar equivalent of the contract recognition board. And we'll have to find out where he ends up driving next year, but it could still be Ganassi next, next season. And he's, he better, he better start showing up with donuts in the morning, every morning for a (laughs) while to win some hearts back there. Please go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, great to see a 40-something win the IndyCar title because uh, uh, I think everyone got on the youth bandwagon last year, but the old guys can still get it done. And 68 pole positions overtaking Mario Andretti's record. That's phenomenal. I had no idea Will was, was up there in that many poles. That's extraordinary. Uh, yeah. And, of course, he won, the, he won the championship by stealth. Only one win, a bunch of seconds, thirds and fourths, got it, got it done for him. So uh, good for Will because he's had... He's had a rough couple of seasons, but he's kept battling. And uh, I think the pace never really deserted him, did it? Um, and he's sort of combined that with a bit of wily racecraft um, and uh, the ability to bring, bring the thing home uh, wherever it needs to, to, to accumulate points. So good, good for Will. Yeah, uh, Will, Will's always been fast, but he's just he's one of those hot and cold kind of guys. And he tends to get himself into trouble. So... exactly right what you're saying, you know, just kind of like keeping a balance, getting the podiums in, keeping the points piling up. That was very unlike him, but a very good way for him to win the championship. And yeah, he is, he is in his forties. So good on him for, for doing that for us. Also 40 somethings. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of winning, Max Verstappen doesn't seem to know how to do anything else. And it doesn't matter where he starts. 
I mean, good God, he just put him, put him in the in the safety car, put him in the medical car. He'll somehow <laughs> still win the race. Yeah, it's been a phenomenal uh, series of domination uh, by Max and Red Bull. I mean, after after the summer break uh, with the new technical directive that was supposed to slow the Red Bull and Ferrari down, it, it seems to have done the reverse for the Red Bull uh, in his hands, at least. Um, and that car, uh, by you know, and, and with with him as well. I mean, you have to give him credit. It is just an unstoppable force at the moment. Um, you know, fair play to Mercedes. They they gave, they gave him a run for his money a little bit in on his home soil um, in Zandvoort, but uh, but yeah, it's just just too just too quick over any type am, of track at the moment. I am highly suspicious about Red Bull's budget. Highly suspicious about that. But at this rate, they could just sit out the last few Grand Prix and still win the championship. So maybe that's their strategy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, win the titles and then just not bother showing up for the last three, four rounds. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a possibility. We, kept, um, we, kept the, yeah. we stayed within budget. We attended 19 of the 23 Grand Prix or whatever it was and uh, won the thing. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's good for him. Good for him, I suppose. I, for me, it's getting rather annoying, but, you know, whatever. Well, we just need to look down the, look down the order for the excitement, right? I mean, we've got a potential battle for second in the, in the Drivers' Championship with uh, yeah. Leclerc, Perez, and Russell separated by 16 points. And then the battle for second in the Constructors looks kind of tasty as well with uh, only, what, 25, 35 points between Ferrari and Mercedes. So, um, yeah, it, that, that, that's going to be interesting to watch throughout the balance of the year, I think, with Mercedes's effort still to try and get a, at least one win this year. And, and Russell particularly has had a good run of form since the, uh, since the break, getting, what, a fourth, a second and a third. So that's all to play for. But, yeah, the championship's done and dusted, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, it would take a pretty serious uh, natural disaster um, occurring over and over again to to change it and it would have to be quite specifically against Red Bull Racing who seems to just have fortune shining on them so yeah it's looking it's looking awfully awfully dire for every other team other than Red Bull Racing and you know if if forced yes I will have a vodka Red Bull to celebrate maybe even two that that was one very interesting piece of news that we should touch on uh was obviously Audi made their their announcement that they were going to enter Formula One from 2026 with the new engine regs and uh, and rather rather amusingly immediately um, took a pop at Mercedes saying that they will actually be a German German based F1 team <laughs> and yeah. uh, um, and then everyone expected that the announcement of the Porsche Red Bull tyre would uh, would then come um, and it didn't and in fact it appears that that's it actually went the other way happen. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, and it looks like you know Porsche wanted to wanted to have 50%, not just of Red Bull powertrain, but of Red Bull technologies, including the F1 team. And that seemed uh, too, big a, uh, too big a a factor for uh, for the Red Bull management to, to stomach. So now Porsche are off, uh, going to do potentially something else or not enter the sport at all, uh, which would be kind of a shock. IndyCar. 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 <laughs> I have a friend at Porsche. I'll, 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 I'll ask them. I'll ask them directly. Okay. So it's been, what, a couple of months since we last podcasted? Fact of the matter is that Chris and I were, you know, putting a lot of work in and working hard to make the show entertaining, informative, and all these things. But 
given the fact that I am on my own in terms of the day-to-day job and the fact that uh, the number of podcasts dedicated to Formula One have skyrocketed since uh, Jim Lau and I started this thing uh, in 2007, it wasn't going anywhere. (laughs) And I understand and appreciate that if you could listen to former Formula One world champions talk about Formula One or some American talk about Formula One, I understand why you would choose the former and not the latter. We had to take a break and do some soul searching and figure out what we're going to do. And we're trying a new format where we're not going to be tied to the Grands Prix events as they happen, but just try to stay in touch with Formula One news and indeed IndyCar and other major racing series news. And when I get the opportunity to have a conversation with a with a driver or someone high up in motorsport, I'll definitely still include that as well. And um, in that sense, I really hope that the loyal fans that have stuck with us throughout these years, first of all, thank you so very much. Second of all, I'm very, very open to hearing any suggestions you have and, uh, you know, trying to make this podcast survive and indeed thrive. Also, speaking of (laughs) survival, um, my Facebook page was hacked not that long ago which also um, interfered with the Fun With Cars Facebook page. And I'm still embroiled in figuring out how to undo that mess. So uh, the podcast is continuing, but the Facebook page might have to go through a rebirth of sorts. So that's just another little tidbit of news. Chris, view anything you'd like to add, please. You know, we're open to suggestions as well, what people want to listen to from us as, as podcasters, right? Um we, we've talked about trying to put a more North American bias to it, um, but you know the, the sport is still heavily dominated by uh, European teams and European drivers. So there's a limit to, to really what we can what we can do there, especially as Has is um, yeah very much predominantly based in in the UK still. So uh, you know if you guys have any ideas or thoughts of what you'd like to hear more of um, or less of, <laughs> let us know. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Please do. And do exactly that after you watch my latest YouTube videos. <laughs> How about that for a segue, Chris? Um, uh, I've definitely still been very busy on YouTube, and I have a couple of videos I did recently. Um, one in particular um, that I am I really hope gets uh, some good traction is the Acura Integra is back after 22 years of that name being away from us. Um, Acura has brought it back, and we have the 2023 Acura Integra. I got a chance to review to review that, and I was very happy with it. And also, Hyundai updated the Palisade, their largest vehicle and their flagship model of sorts. And so I did a quick video on that one as well. But um, definitely looking forward to hearing from you guys. As soon as I get the Facebook page up and running again, I will do that. But you can definitely still comment on funwithcars.com. Um, that's still open. If you have a moment to do that, I'd, I'd deeply appreciate it. But until then, please understand that I mean this sincerely. Thank you for listening. Please do take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars and check out our Facebook page when it returns. <laughs> maybe under facebook.com slash fwcars tbd on that until then chris thank you so very much that uh, you're sticking with me for this fun adventure 
Oh, thank you, Robin, and everyone who listens. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.